you know, with any parenting, like you said, there's so so many similarities with however our children have come to us. And some of them are still kind of have a little bit of a cloak of shame that you can see that they are just really not at peace with their story yet. And then we have our one daughter who, for show and tell in first grade, showed her adoption <laughs> journey. And yeah, one of the yeah. kids looked at her and said, just was confused. And she said, what? I was adopted. You got a problem with that? <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, Woodside family and friends, welcome to another exciting edition of The Link. It's so great uh, to be with you. You who have been following our program know that we've been in a couple weeks in which we've been talking about family. Family is ground zero for God's plan for changing the world. It is also the toughest job you'll ever love. Last week, we talked about blended families, and it was our way of just reminding us all that families come in various shapes, forms and sizes. Today is a very special program and it's near and dear to my heart. We're talking about uh, adoption, the pains and the joys of adoption. And I got three incredible guests that have come uh, to join me so that we can have this lively discussion. So if you are an adoptive family, if you've been praying about it and sensing God leading you that way, if you know an adoptive family that you want to support and encourage, today's your program. Please share it so that others can be blessed and encouraged as well. Well, uh, here with me is Maggie Dunn. Maggie Dunn is uh, an incredible leader in our community. She leads House of Providence, and we'll hear more about that. But Maggie, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, Alicia Lay is here as well. Many of you from the Woodside family will know Alicia and uh, Jacob, her husband. They help to lead out our Farmington Hills campus. Alicia also does tremendous work in the human trafficking uh, space, helping to bring liberation and freedom to women there. And uh, I'm so incredibly grateful for your work. Alicia, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Chris. And then my absolute favorite guest <laughs> of all time is sitting right to my left. That's my wife. And uh, man, I can't even look at her without smiling. Uh, but Yodi obviously does a lot in supporting our Troy campus, uh, Woodside broadly. But what many of you may not know is probably about a dozen years ago, she started a, a wonderful ministry called Infinite Love that encourages parents to consider advocacy for the orphan, uh, foster care, adoption, and, uh, and support there. So, honey, it's so good to have you. It's always great to be with you. Okay, I'll, that's the last time I'll call you honey on the program. But uh, with that being said, ladies, I want to start by just talking about um, your adoption heart. What caused you to have a desire to even consider adoption and maybe even share a little bit about your family story. Maggie, I'll start with you. Yeah, so I interestingly grew up as a an adopt or a sibling to many adopted kiddos. So in my family there are six biological and eight adopted. And so I have a really unique view on some of the fears and I'm able to dispel those for people when they are very concerned about what most people would say, my kids. Yeah. What about my kids and how will this affect my kids? And so I was one of the my kids and I can just talk to people about how that increased my faith because we know that faith without works is dead. And when my parents gave us the opportunity to leverage what we had, which was so much goodness in our family, whether that was monetarily or in our love or in our relationships or what we knew of the Lord. And they allowed us a platform to leverage that 
my faith was alive in ways that I didn't even realize until much later. And so I think it very naturally became part of, well, this is what I will continue to do when I'm an adult and my husband, I'm completely on board. We've been married for 26 years and have been involved in foster care and adoption since then. And so we have two biological children and eight children that have come to us through the foster care system. And it was just a very, very natural progression of my life, honestly. I gotta give a shout out to Mr. J. Yeah. Uh, Jay Dunn, your partner yes. in all of this. And it's great. The work that you guys have done has, uh, again, been incredible in not only seeing uh, the way your family is comprised, but even seeing the children that have come through the House of Providence. We'll come back to that as well. What about you, Alicia? Where does your heart for adoption come from? And share a little bit about your family. Yeah, so my heart for adoption, I think, came some from my own experience, being a teenager who was removed from my home, placed with another family who had two biological teenage girls themselves. So adding another girl into the family, I'm sure looking back now was no uh, easy feat. And so particularly fostering and adopting teenagers was kind of always on my mind because I knew how much it impacted those latter years of my life. And... Um, then God brought an opportunity probably a little earlier than we expected, but it's really rooted in that, in that desire. Yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, I think about how God was at work even before we knew he was at work. And I hear it in your story. I hear it in your story. And honey, I know a little bit uh, more than the rest about your story, but why don't you share? Because adoption really showed up in your friendships and your life story pretty early on. Yes. Um, for me, um, adoption was something that got put, placed in my heart very early on. Um, it wasn't something that I was formally aware of until um, a friend of mine in middle school, she was my, um, one of my close friends and locker partner, and um, she, you know, I, I realized that there were some different things she was struggling with and I didn't understand why until I found out about these notes that our teacher would often pass her on a little post-it. And I found out that those were notes telling her the next foster home she was going to be going to. Mm. And it just broke my heart when I understood what the need was in her life. And it was so simple to me. I went to my mom and said, okay, you need to adopt her. She needs a family. It's simple. You need to adopt her. Um, but I found out it wasn't quite as simple as that. And, um, but I said, you know what, when I have the opportunity, I'm going to do that. And, um, and the Lord continued to place people in our lives that um, were adopted into their families. And it was a, a beautiful um, demonstration of God's love for us. And so, um, as you know, that was something in my heart, even yep. when we met um, we got at an early we age. Got married. There were two things. We didn't have a prenuptial agreement, but there was two things she said I require. One is I need a vacation from Michigan at least once a year. And secondly, uh, we, we got to adopt. And uh, much like Jay, much like Jacob, I was on board uh, with it. Mm -hmm. And so God has done, um, again, just an amazing work in our family. You want to share a little bit about that? Mm-hmm. And in our family, we also um, have a, a blend of um, adopted and biological. And so we have um, a son, a 
that was adopted as a teenager, one adopted, a daughter adopted from Ethiopia as an infant, and a son that was adopted um, also from uh, foster care. And then we had three biological children. Surprise, also. surprise. Surprise, surprise. But I also always tell our adopted kids that you were in my heart before I even knew about the bio babies. So, um, so it's a sweet thing. It's a sweet thing. Yeah, you know, when you think about um, uh, adoption, one of the things that I want to do is dispel some of the myths. And so let's talk about some of the joys and some of the pains. So Alicia, I'll start with you. Let's first be encouraging, because we don't want to scare anyone away. <laughs> we don't want to scare so, the people, so, too <laughs> So what are some of the joys about being an adoptive parent? Yeah, well, I think for us, our personal story is we had two biological boys, and God brought Taylor um, so for us to have a daughter, something that especially um, I had a lot of fear in coming from my own background, like, am I going to mess a girl up? They're scary. Yeah. Um, but Jacob really had a huge desire in his heart, um, you know, even to the point we would babysit little girls and he would be like, can't you just see me walking a daughter down the aisle? <laughs> like, I don't know, but obviously God did. Um, so just having you know, a daughter, for us, the joy of a transracial adoption and being able to engage different cultures uh, within our home. Um, yeah, and then well, ours came with grandbabies too. So our daughter at the time was, uh, when she was 14, she had a child. So when she was 16 and came into our home, we were Mimi and Pop. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, every story, I love how God uniquely just yes. gives us some desires that we wouldn't foresee otherwise. Yeah. What about you, Yodi? What's uh, maybe one great joy that you can think of? I know there's many, uh, but what would be your greatest joy of being an adoptive parent? Um, you know, similar. It's just, um, it, you know, one of the things I love about being an adoptive and biological parent is you realize that there's so much that's so similar that you almost don't even want to make the differences, you know, yeah. highlighted, you know, but the just the joy of being able um, to see the Lord in them and being able to help to bring that out, to yeah. bring that forth, you know, and to believe for them when they can't believe for themselves, yeah. you know, um, which I think is a parenting thing, a parenting joy um, in general, but um, especially with my, my, our kids that were adopted, you know, I, I don't know, I see an extra special thing there um, that God is going to bring so much out of their story. Mm -hmm. And um, I wonder, like, how do you know that you weren't born for such a time as this, you know? Yeah, all you definitely happened. see the sovereign hand exactly. of God in all of it. And I think for me, also seeing, and I see it in, in all three of you, is how God is depositing within our adopted kids, a passion for adoption themselves. Yes, yes. Um, because pretty early on, you incorporated our kids in uh, infinite love and in uh, advocacy for orphans, for foster care, adoption. I remember them doing events and helping to celebrate adoption. And so those things, I think, are something that they don't have to carry with shame, but with a sense of Absolutely. calling and pride yes. Uh, uh, there. What about you, Maggie? What, what's one of the greatest joys for you of being an adoptive parent? I think just making it such a natural part of our family and our conversation. Yeah. So there's no sort of bomb dropping in our family. It's just yes. this sacred journey through unpacking with them that is so beautiful and so intense 
but there is such an intimacy gained in that intensity yes. when you aren't afraid of the really deep waters and tough questions and you just walk through it so carefully in the sacred space that it is and yes. I will never not take that lightly. It is, it's very, very powerful. Yeah, you know, you bring up a really important point and you know, there's various views on this on how open we should be with adopted kids about the fact that they are adopted and their origin story. You know, one of the things that's important to remember is that adoption typically, and I would say almost necessarily, comes along with some form of trauma. Absolutely. Um, even if it happened before they were old enough to recognize uh, it as it is, it is trauma. Um, our philosophy has always been uh, to be open, uh, to discuss in an age-appropriate way uh, what adoption is, uh, so they can know their story, so they can own their story. Um, uh, Maggie, any uh, thoughts about that? Any recommendations along those lines? I totally agree. And there's, however you slice it, it comes with loss. Yes. And I think that it's not necessarily my loss. It's my gain, my yeah. children. That, But to not lose sight of the fact that they have lost something and that that is, again, that sacred yes. space and walking through it, but so open. And I, I know each of our kids handles that loss differently. And yes. so, you know, with any parenting, like you said, there's so, so many similarities with however our children have come to us. And some of them are still kind of have a little bit of a cloak of shame that you can see that they are just really not at peace with their story yet. And then we have our one daughter who for show and tell in first grade showed her adoption <laughs> journey. And yeah, one of the yeah. kids looked at her and said, just was confused. And she said, what? I was adopted. You got a problem with that? <laughs> and so I think it's just yeah. everybody, and we just have to walk so carefully with where they're at in their journey. Yeah, you know, Maggie brings up that sense of loss. Um, how do we help, honey, um, uh, our kids process through that? How, how do you recommend parents to process through that? Because that is part of the journey, that they have to have space to process in their own timing, in their own way, the fact that they have suffered loss. Absolutely. So talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. You know, um, children who um, are in a position to have need of adoption um, necessarily have experienced the loss of their parents, their biological parents. And um, and so, again, as you said, whether they that happened at birth or if it happens at 15 or 16, um, that loss is very real. And the, the reality um, is reminded, they're reminded of this constantly as they see other images in society, on television, of traditional families, yeah. um, that there is this shadow almost of someone, a figure that they don't know that belongs to them. And um, I think that uh, the reality is all of us have faced some sort of loss in our lives. And when we're able to identify that fact it helps us to enter into that space with them a little bit more. One thing that's really important, though, is, as Maggie had just moment, uh, mentioned, is that it is their loss, and, and they own that. And so we need to be careful with it so that we don't um, co-opt it as, you know, a part of our story, but it needs to be their story. 
and we need to protect it in that way and just be very mindful that, hey, as they are able and desiring to deal with this, we have to do it. But there is a major opportunity for us to deny ourselves in that. You have to, I mean, I know for myself, there were times where with one of our children that was very um, um, much uh, missing their birth parent early on. And there were times where I would have to kind of pull back, go cry in my bedroom and come back with my game face and say, we're in this together, you know, say whatever you want to say. It's okay to miss her. It's okay that you want her in your life. I wish that you were able to have had that experience, but that's not the way God organized it. But what he has for us is good, you know, and so we have to wrestle with those things. So there is definitely an aspect of self-denial, self-sacrifice that comes with being able to help them carry that burden and get to a place of healing in their own lives. Yeah, I would just say two things. Uh, number one is um, expect seasons of intensity because typically none of us, as it pertains to any of our losses, live with it ever present uh, with the same level of intensity. But there are certain waves and seasons and times where it's really, really intense. And know secondly that there are a ton of resources out there. And maybe there's books that you might have to read or a therapist that you might have to go through, uh, go to for a particular season, but support them as they process that loss. And I love that thought of don't personalize it. Uh, if they say, man, I miss my biological parents. I wish they were here. Um, or tell me again why I had to be adopted, you know. Um, Alicia, any caution on the pain side, because I think that we often look at adoption through rose-colored lenses, right? And, um, you know, parenting is parenting is parenting. So any caution you want to give to uh, folks who are on the front end or even contemplating adoption? Yeah, I think walking into it, understanding that there is loss, there is sacrifice. I mean, even in the story of our own spiritual adoption, Right, the loss and sacrifice of Jesus that was made to be brought into God's yes. spiritual family. And so very much that's the story of adoption, right? And yes. so that's the truth that we're rooted in. And so knowing that that will also be true, true for us um, to lean, you know, lean heavily on our professional resources and counselors I know has been important for our family as we navigate um, the ins and outs of trauma, of attachment, of um disruption to your biological family as yeah. well. Yeah, but I will say that the the joys outweigh the pains. And that's true again for any form of parenting. Part of what I've had to train myself to realize is that not everything is because they're adopted, right. you know? It's easy to blame every behavioral issue, every moment of rebellion, every season where they're stubborn on uh, on adoption. and. When you have a, a blend of adopted and biological kids, you realize, no, this is just the fall. <laughs> this is just broadly the fall. They all deal with it, and we have to uh, navigate through it. Maggie, what are some misconceptions that we should clear up? Well, I think we talk a lot about maybe the loss that they suffered and the trauma that they might come with into our family units. And for Jay and I, we have seen so clearly that when you enter that and anything intense really draws out who you are on the inside. So I think for us, we have a deep knowing that 
we're going to have to face some deep stuff that's inside of us that has zero to do with the child, but it yeah. just happens to bring some of that stuff up. And it is so holistically sanctifying. Yes. Um, and it can be a little scary to yes. say like, whew, okay, that's in there. We're going to have to work on that, Jesus, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and yeah. I think we have to be willing to see those things in ourselves. And then I think secondly, it is not about what is that child bringing into and doing to complete our family or what are they bringing to sort of complete maybe a story for us it has zero to do with that. It has to do with that Matthew 25 of like, when were you hungry, Lord? Yeah. When did you need a visitor? When were you lonely, Lord? And just to be there and it's going to get really messy, but that sacred yes is such a privilege and it's so intense and it's difficult and it's all those things we talked about but moreover it's a privilege it is and you know you think about that journey of trust i think one of the other misconceptions is that we may be at a different place than where our child is at by way of trust and bonding and you have to wait yeah. for that child to be able to be at a place where they can trust again or in particular you talk about your friend who went from foster home to foster home you imagine that um, when you finally land in a place where you, where you said where you you're told oh this is permanent and you can live here now you can take on our last name that's not something that overnight becomes natural to you it takes it takes time so I think it's really important. We could go on and on about misconceptions, but I want to talk a little bit, Alicia, about just the spiritual reality of it. You alluded to it and how it's a reflection of the gospel. I think of uh, probably the most popular verse around foster care and adoption um, is uh, James 127, a pure religion is to visit the widow and the orphan and to keep oneself uh, unstained from the world. And so when you think about how adoption is a reflection of our relationship with God, what comes to mind? Yeah, I think what we see is really adoption throughout the story of scripture is a pretty prevalent theme, like even yes. going back to Moses um, and his mom's, yeah. you know, mom being brave enough to give him up to her adoption to escape Pharaoh, um, to Esther transforming from an orphan into a queen through the adoption by her cousin yes. to Jesus himself, right? And his father, Joseph, being able to welcome him as one of his own. And then um, obviously Father God who yes. adopts us. And Ephesians one twenty five talks about that uh, it, it was a joy and it was a delight for him that he decided beforehand to adopt us into his family through his son, Jesus yes. Christ. And yeah. so some of us are really asked and called, all of us are to uh, take care of the orphans. Mm -hmm. Some of us are to adopt them into our own biological family unit. And then all of us as Christians are to partner with God in the work of reconciliation to take those who are spiritually orphaned and um, invite them into the family of God so through through the work of Jesus. So this is my commercial now. I get a chance to encourage and challenge some. Maybe God is impressing upon your heart to consider foster care and adoption. And I like to think of the distinction between the two this way, that foster care is the assumption of reunification with the biological family, that when you're fostering, you're thinking this is a, a season where I want to provide a safe place, a loving place, but ultimately we're hoping that the child is able to reunite with their biological parent or parents. Uh, with adoption, uh, parental rights have been terminated, 
the thought of reunification isn't present. And so then you're thinking about this being a permanent home. You're opening up your heart and your home on a permanent level. And so whatever way God may be leading you, we're going to talk about ways that you can uh, become active in that. But honey, just with a few moments left, let's talk about the way the church can help. When you think about the role that churches can play to support um, foster and adoptive families, um, and I'll come to you guys as well, but uh, what do you think are some ways that churches can help? Well, some of the ways that churches can help um, is to, first of all, uh, considering those passages, asking the question, what are we doing? And um, then next to ask the question, well, who is among us that already may be involved and how can we empower them? And so that is a unique place that we're in, even as a church, to have people among our congregation that are doing um, just amazing things um, for for the Lord as it relates to adoption and foster care. Um, So as churches in general, to come, come alongside of them, to partner with them, to empower them, to um, help to do the work that they're doing. But raising that awareness, as you said as well, speaking within from the pulpit, from all of the various venues that God has given a church to be able to advocate for the need for that. In the state of Michigan right now, we have over 10,000 kids that are in the foster care system. And so those children in foster care need that level of, um, they need a home. You know, we're so grateful that our, one of our children was placed in a foster home um, before they came to us and they were a wonderful, godly family. We need more of those. Um, so awareness for that need. We also have the need for, um, of those, about 2% will be, uh, will require to be adopted out of foster care. So now there are over 220 kids now in Michigan that need forever families. So, um, but as someone who is sitting um, and thinking about adoption, one of the great resources the state has is a website called mare.org, M-A-R-E dot org. And it is a website that te- that they, they will select um, a number of children to share their stories that are in foster care. And it's not necessarily that you will adopt one of the kids that are on mare, but it helps you to understand the heart of a child and the need that exists and the faces and and put a heart to to this great need. And so I would encourage anyone who um, has thought about it um, to to do that. But um, and then if you have any adoptive or foster people, uh, families around you, um, ask not only ask questions, but see how you can be able to come alongside of them, um, particularly new families. Um, but those who have had children with them for a long time, invite them over for dinner, have those conversations and see what God does in your heart. You can provide respite care. You can be an advocate. You can go to your pastor and say, watch this episode of The Link. Uh, you can support House of Providence. You can be on the prevention side and anti-human trafficking. Yes. And uh, you can um, just really be uh, someone who's a resource. And so I do encourage that Meridot or we'll have uh, that information on our website as well and on our uh, Facebook pages. Uh, Ladies, any final words at all that you would want to say to someone who is an adoptive family? Let's think of someone who maybe is a little bit uh, discouraged. What would you want to say to them, Alicia? 
Yeah, the word that you used earlier of journey, yeah. especially, um, you know, those ebbs and flows that we all have in our families, yes. but um, particularly with the joys and trials of adoption, um, to hang in there, yeah. <laughs> uh, this will get better and then it might get worse again, but... Um, hang in there. Yeah, hang in there. It, it will change, you know, when our daughter came to our family, our four-year-old would cry, I just want my old family back. And now, you know, seven, eight years down the road, they're pals, yeah. you know? So it really does, it changes, it evolves, and it gets better. That's good. Maggie, what about those who are thinking about adopting? What do you want to Yeah, I would just say, shore up your tribe. Make sure that you have people around you that love you well and that will support you because you will need breaks. You will need to step back and get some perspective. And I would say anything that's worth doing, we see in the Gospels where he says, before you start the building project, step back, see if you have what it takes to complete the whole project. And so I would really just step back and assess all of those different areas because, man, one of the things that Jay and I need the most is our tribe of people to just be able to pray for us, cry with us when our kids are not well, to talk that through and to remind us of the goodness of the Lord and that there's nothing he can't redeem and to just stand with us and remind us of his yeah. goodness. You know, it's so important to remember, too, that adoption is an entire family event. Right. So even when you have a supportive family, you're going to have to still be educated on how to talk about it how to help uh, the kids journey through and how to be a support. But again, as Alicia said, hang in there. It is worth it. Parenting is parenting is parenting. All of it needs God's grace. But I do believe that God is with us when we follow his word. So thank you, ladies. I want to pray and uh, then we'll uh, commend some resources to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the gospel, the promise of spiritual adoption. In one way, we are all adopted into the forever family of God, and we're grateful for that. And thank you for families that are awakening to that call, those who are walking out the journey. Lord, we simply ask that you would be near, that you would strengthen, that you would comfort, and that you would bless both parents and children, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Now remember, in the postscript, there are resources, websites, books to read, articles for you to uh, take in so that you can continue on this journey of growth and education. And also, I highly encourage you to share this episode of The Link. Listen, I can't wait till we're together again next time. Until then, have a great day.